0: Again, uh, it's good to be here with you this evening. Thank you, church, for uh, taking our family on for support earlier this year. We very much appreciate of that. I remember getting the email from your pastor. Um, I had to make sure it wasn't a fake email first. (laughs) But uh, appreciate that so much. Um, I think and hope that you saw through the video. We have a lot going on have a lot of opportunities, a lot more things that we can do. We don't know all that God has in the future. We just want to make ourselves available to do whatever God would have us to do. It's a needy land. It's a needy continent. There's a lot of places on that continent that uh, people just aren't fighting to go to. They're fighting there, but people just aren't so much willing to go to. And God's kind of put our group of people in Kenya right in the midst of some of those areas and have a lot of opportunities. And We want to uh, avail ourselves of those opportunities. Turn your Bibles this evening to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter number 45. We're going to begin reading in just a moment in verse number 9, and I'll have you go ahead and stand. Um, We'll read from verse number 9 all the way down to the end of the chapter. And I believe we can see something from this story this evening, the story about Joseph, that uh, can uh, be a challenge to us in the area of missions. Genesis chapter 45, beginning in verse number 9. Haste ye, and go up to my father, and say unto him, Thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me, tarry not." Thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen, and thou shalt be near unto me, thou and thy children, and thy children's children, and thy flocks, and thy herds, and all that thou hast. And there will I nourish thee, for yet there are five years of famine, lest thou and thy household and all that thou hast come to poverty. And behold, your eyes see, in the eyes of my brother Benjamin, that it is my mouth that speaketh unto you. And ye shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt, and of all that ye have seen, and ye shall haste. And bring down my father hither. He fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them, and after that his brethren talked with him. And the fame thereof was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brethren are come, and it pleased Pharaoh well his servants. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, saying unto thy brethren, this do ye, lay your beasts, and go get you into the land of Canaan. And take your father and your households and come unto me, and I will give you the good of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat the fat of the land. Now thou art commanded, this do ye, take you wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Also regard not your stuff, for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. The children of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the commandment of Pharaoh and gave them provision for the way. To all of them he gave each man changes of raiment, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of raiment. And to his father he sent after this manner ten asses laden with the good things of Egypt, and ten she asses laden with corn and bread and meat for his father by the way. So he sent his brethren away, and they departed, and he said unto them, See that you fall not out by the way. They went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. They told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them. And When he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. Let us pray. Father, as we take a few moments and consider this story of your servant, Joseph. Lord, what an example Joseph has been and continues to be through these thousands of years. Father, I pray that as we look at this story this evening, and Lord, I think we see some things that are important for us in the day that we live, and I pray that we would search our hearts. and Lord, if there would be something in our heart, in our life, that Lord, uh, ought not to be there, or Lord, some things that uh, are not as they should be, I pray that you would just uh, help us this evening to give those things over to you. Lord, challenge us from your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'm sure this story this evening is not unfamiliar to us. What a wonderful story it is. It's really one of my favorite stories in all the Bible, to be there at that time when Joseph revealed himself to his brothers imagine seeing that take place we didn't read uh, that portion where that took place that took place in verse number 3 of the same chapter uh, we know that joseph's family was in the midst of that famine that was all over the world uh, uh, jacob sent the brothers to egypt looking for some food joseph immediately recognized his brothers and he did not reveal himself immediately he he wanted to see Were his brothers those same scheming, conniving brothers that had sold him years before as a slave? Or was there some remorse in their life? Was there some changes that took place? Was there some maturing that had gone on? So he laid some tests. He gave them some tests. And it came to the place where Joseph saw all that he needed to see. And he decided it was time to reveal himself. And in verse number 3, he said those words to his brothers. I am Joseph. And the moment those brothers realized, this man before them, the one that was in second in command of all the nation of Egypt, was that brother that they had sold into slavery. At the moment that realization came over those brothers, the lives of Joseph's brothers changed. They were never going to be the same again. Kind of reminds me of what happened to you and what happened to me when we realized who Jesus Christ was. For the first time. I mean when we realized he was more than just a word. It was more than just a story that somebody told at Christmas time. That Jesus Christ was the savior of the world. That he had come to provide the sacrifice and the forgiveness of our sins. And at the moment we realized what what he had done. And we accepted that by faith our lives changed never to be the same again. We could say this evening that in Joseph's brothers' lives, uh, we could say some things changed, and let me mention briefly in introduction some of those things. We could say that their position changed. See, before Joseph revealed himself, they were subject to slavery and to death. Joseph, as judge, had already sentenced Benjamin to death and Judah, then offered himself in exchange of Benjamin. But as soon as Joseph told them who he was, as soon as he began speaking to them in their own language, they were transformed from death to a wonderful life. Remember when that happened to you? Remember that moment you met Jesus Christ and your position changed? For myself, I was an 11-year-old boy. It was November 12, 1976. I was sitting in a revival meeting of the Cleveland Baptist Church on a Friday evening in the very back corner of that auditorium, as far as you could get away from the preacher. For many years, I had pretended to be saved. It didn't take me long growing up in church that, to realize that when you said you were saved, people were happy. I wanted people to be happy with me. So I told them I was saved, and they were happy. They even baptized me. They were so happy. But I wasn't saved. I was pretending, and I knew it. That evening, that ev- there was an evangelist by the name of Al Lacy that I got up to preach. He preached the message, he, or he gave the title of his message, and when he gave the title of his message, it captivated me. See, I'd grown up in church, so I knew the language, I knew what the Bible had said, but the title of his sermon didn't quite go with everything that I knew, and so it was captivating me. The title of his sermon, uh, and... It came, he took it from the book of Acts, the story of Simon the sorcerer. The title of his sermon that evening was The Man Who Missed Missed Heaven by 12 Inches. I thought, what? The Bible doesn't say anything like that. I never heard my pastor preach anything like that. Somebody died and they got 12 inches from heaven and they fell back into hell. Uh, What's this man talking about? So he had my attention. Of course, he's talking about having a knowledge in the head. Knowing in the head, but never allowing it to change your life, change your heart. The difference between the head and the heart being 12 inches. Every time he pointed his finger that evening in that mess, it didn't matter if it was in that direction. It seemed like it was pointing right at me. (laughs) By the time the invitation came, I was ready. I was ready to get saved. I went to my father. I ran to my father, who thought I was saved. I told him I was saved. I told my father I wasn't saved. We went down and we knelt at that old-fashioned altar. And when I got up off my knees that evening, understand, my position had completely changed. Not only did the position of the brothers change, but their privileges changed. See, before Joseph revealed himself, they were strangers, not even part of Pharaoh's kingdom. But after the announcement of Joseph, of who he was, they became the favored group in all of Egypt. And all oh, what privileges changed for me when I met Jesus Christ see before I got saved I belonged to my father my father was Satan and listen we understand we inherit from our fathers and I was about to inherit from my father Satan and my inheritance was going to be death in hell but when I got saved that all changed I got adopted into a new family. God the Father became my Father and I received a new inheritance. Listen, I received the same inheritance that Jesus receives. What a privilege that came to me because of salvation and came to you because of salvation. Not only did their position change and their privileges change, but we could also say their prospects changed. See, before Joseph revealed himself, their survival was really in doubt. Not just because of the judgment of Pharaoh, or of Joseph, excuse me, but because of the famine. It was an act of desperation that moved Jacob to allow those brothers even to take Benjamin with them into Egypt. But now, not only were they going to make it, they were going to live like kings. And none of this was due to their own behavior. It was all due to the mercy And the grace of Joseph. The suffering of Joseph. Had allowed for the blessings. Of the brothers. Now as we remember this story this evening. Remember you and I. We're in the place of the brothers. It's because of the mercy. And the grace of Jesus Christ. That we can be pardoned. And have eternal salvation. So understand. When Joseph. Revealed himself to his brothers. His brothers changed. They were, ne- they were not going to be the same. Life was going to be different from there on out. Just as it was for you and I when we received Christ. But now the brothers know this man's Joseph. Now they know that this one that they've been dealing with is their brother that they sold into slavery. And Joseph, we read this story, Joseph closed the door. And he told everybody to leave. And he took some time with his brothers, and they wept, and they hugged, and they, they forgave each other, and they probably told some stories, and they enjoyed a little bit of fellowship. And then Joseph gathered his brothers around, he says, Brothers, wait a minute, listen to me. Everything's different now, lots of changed because you're my brothers, but before you enjoy the blessings of being my brother, before you enjoy all that Egypt has to offer you, because you are my brother's, I have something you need to do first. I have a job for you, brothers. Brothers, I am giving you a responsibility. Brothers, I'm commissioning you to do something on my behalf. See, brothers, father who lives back in Canaan in the midst of that famine, he doesn't know that Joseph is alive. Uh, Brothers back in Canaan, your wives live there, and your children live there, and your servants live there. They don't know that Joseph is alive. They don't know that there's some blessings waiting for them here in Egypt. Brothers, there's a famine going on. Brothers, I'm commissioning you to go back to Father and tell Father that Joseph is alive. In church, this evening, when we got saved, You understand, God could have, if he wanted to, he could have immediately taken us to heaven. As an 11-year-old boy, when I received Christ, God could have immediately taken me to heaven to begin immediately enjoying life before the throne of God. Enjoying all that heaven has to offer. But God did not do that. Because when we got saved, God said, now wait a minute before you enjoy these blessings of being my child, before you enjoy the blessings of heaven and all that it has to offer, church, before you do that, I I have a job for you. I have a responsibility for you. Church, I'm commissioning you to do something on my behalf. Church, there's a famine going on out there in the world, and church, I need somebody to go out into the world and tell the world that Jesus is alive. I'm commissioning you to do this on my behalf. I want to take the next few moments, and I want to look at this commission that Joseph gave to his brothers. Let's compare it just a little bit to to that commission that Jesus Christ has given to the church, and see if we can be reminded of some things this evening. Notice with me, first of all, in verse number 9, Joseph says this, Haste ye and go up to my father. Uh, Brothers, listen, I'm commissioning you to do this for me. I, I, I need you to do it. You need to go back and you need to tell the family that Joseph is alive. But brothers, when you do this, you need to do it quickly. Brothers, you need to make haste. Brothers, there's no time to wait. There's no time to delay. Brothers, there's a famine going on. And in a famine, brothers, bad things happen. It was a long journey, brothers, from Canaan down here to Egypt. And you've been here in Egypt for a little while. And it's a long journey back to Canaan where Father is. And you need to hurry up. Don't wait. Don't delay. Do it quickly. Through the years... Life on the mission field, God has reminded me many times of the urgency that we have in getting the Great Commission to people. If I could share with you an illustration, a story that took place several years ago that really, uh, since taking place, has in some ways haunted me. I, I, I could never get it out of my mind. Shared with you this evening in the video, the ministry. The opportunities that we have in the Democratic Republic of Congo. We started that first church in Uvira in July of 2009. The church was about six months old. It was approximately January of 2010 and I was over at that church and I was preaching on a Sunday morning. That was an exciting time in the church because in that church it, there was an excitement of newly saved people. You see, everybody in that church had newly been saved, they had not come from other gospel preaching churches because there were no other gospel preaching churches around. So there was an excitement that exists in the life of a person that had newly been saved and so the singing was something that I, I can't even describe to you. The joy and the singing and the joy in, in, in being in church. The building was full of people. There were visitors there. and There's an old man sitting on the front bench that I had never seen before. He was a visitor. I preached that morning on the subject of hell. When the sermon was over, the service closed, that old man came up to me. And he said, missionary, he said, I'd like a few moments of your time. He said, there's a question that I'd like to ask you. So we sat down on the bench and I asked that old man what his question was. He said, missionary, this is my question. I need to know something from you. He said, I need to know where have you been all of my life. Now, we were conversing or communicating in the Swahili language. Um, In Kenya, we do most everything in English, and so Swahili, my Swahili is not as fluent as it could be. And so there was something uh, lost in the translation. I thought the man was asking me for my testimony. So I began to share with him where I was born and where I was raised about life here in the U.S. He stopped me after a few moments. He said, missionary, I'm I'm not asking you where you're born and where you're raised. He said, I'm asking you where you've been. Well, again, there was something a little bit lost in the translation. I thought then he was asking me about my life in Kenya because that's where we had come from. And so I began to explain a, bit, a little bit how we got to Kenya and from Kenya over to there. And again, he stopped me. He said, no, missionary, you're just not, you're just not getting me. He said, missionary, I heard you preach this morning and you preached about a place called Hell. And when you preached, you held a book in your hand and you said that God wrote that book. And you said God wrote that book to me. That God revealed himself in the pages of that book to the world. And in that book you said there's a, that God talked about a place called heaven where people go who get saved. And a place called hell where people go who have not had their sins forgiven by God's son. He said, the missionary, I've lived a long life and I've never heard this before. And so if this is true, if God really wrote that book and God really wrote those things in that book that you said he wrote, then i just like to know, how come I've never heard this before? He said, missionary, I could tell when you preach you, you really believe what you're preaching. If this is true, why? Now as this man was speaking to me, I, I'll be honest with you, I, I felt a little uncomfortable with what I felt like he was insinuating. Because here I was, I, I was kind of feeling good about myself. I mean, here we were in Congo with a church from Kenya who had left Kenya to go to Congo to start a church. and I mean, we are doing what the Bible says and we were kind of thinking, man, this is good what we're doing. And here's this old man. He's kind of raining on my parade. And I, But that old man, he didn't stop there. He continued. He said, you see, missionary, when the war came, we mentioned that war briefly in the video, the Great African War. Six million people have been killed in that conflict. It's a war that's still going on in parts of eastern Congo. The world doesn't even talk about it. The first major battle of that war was fought in that town of Uvira where we were. He said, missionary, when the rebels came, when the soldiers came, he said, they came to my house. When they came to my house, they took my son. They threw my son down on the ground outside the door to our house and put a gun to my son's head and shot and killed my son. Now, missionary, according to what you preached today and according to what you said is written in that book given by God, then that means my son is in hell. And that means my son will never get out and he's in pain and torment and I'll never see him again. So missionary, I just need to know, if what you preached is true, shouldn't I have heard about this before now? He didn't stop there, though he continued. He said, you see missionary, last year my wife died. He said, I really miss her so much. He said, we lived a long life together. I loved her. There's not a day that I don't, goes by that I don't wish that she was with me. But, missionary, according to what you preached this morning, according to what you said is written in that book that God wrote, that He wrote for me and the benefit of me and, and everybody around here, then that means my wife is in that place called hell. And she'll never get out. And she's in pain. And she's in torment. So, missionary, if this is true, I just need to know. I, I just need to know why. Why have we never heard this before? Now, as this old man was speaking, in my mind, I'm thinking of all these excuses. And the truth is, all, all the excuses I were thinking about, humanly speaking, they were good excuses. It wasn't an easy place to go to. There were still rebel soldiers camped in the hillside above that town while that old man was speaking to me. You could see their tents and you could see their campfires at night. It wasn't an easy place to go to. It was... Still very volatile. But as I'm thinking of these excuses to say to this man, I also begin thinking, what excuse can you give to a man of human reasoning that will give comfort to him, understanding for the first time that his loved ones are in a place called hell? Finally, I looked at the old man and I said, Sir, I don't have an answer for you. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know why. I don't know why nobody has come before to tell you. I don't, I, I don't know what the delay, what caused the delay. I said, sir, all I can tell you is that you have to decide for your own self if you're going to say yes or no to Jesus Christ. And God, through that old man, reminded me very vividly of the urgency that we have to get the gospel to the world. But church, I want you to understand something this evening. They're not old men and people that live just in the jungles of Africa like that. There are people like that that live also in your community. They're searching for the truth. See, there's an emptiness and there's a void. They, may not, they, they, they don't know why it's there. They just know there must be something more to life. And they've tried to find something to fill that void. And they, they've turned to the world and what the world has to offer, but it's still there and they're still searching. And they may not even know what they're searching for. But you and I have the truth of God's word. And we are mandated by God urgently. We just need to let them know about Jesus Christ so they can decide for themselves. Are they going to accept or reject? Joseph said, brothers, you know who I am? Brothers, there's a lot of blessings waiting for you because you're just my brothers. Before you enjoy these blessings, though, brothers, I've got a job for you. I have a responsibility. I'm commissioning you to do something on my behalf, and brothers, you need to do it quickly. Don't wait, and don't delay. He then said something else that we can see again in verse number nine. Haste ye, and go up to my father, and say unto him, Thus saith thy son Joseph. Hey, brothers, when you get back to father, make sure your father knows that what you're telling father are the very words of Joseph. Brothers, make sure Father knows these are not your words. This is not some scheme that you made up. This is not one of your uh, 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 dreams or one of the things that uh, uh, you've got yourself involved in. But what, what, what you're telling him are the very words of his beloved son, Joseph. Make sure you deliver that message faithfully to Father, brothers. In church, that's exactly what we need to do when we go to the world. We're not going to the world with our own message. We're not going to the world with our own ways and our own schemes and our own methods. We're going to the world and we need to make sure the world knows, thus saith the living God. Thus saith the word of God, this is his way. Broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Narrow is the way that leadeth to life eternal. That's what God said, that's not what I said. So many people today trying to take the message of God to the world in their own ways, and they're just watering it down. Understand, church, a watered-down message is no gospel at all. Joseph said to his brothers, brothers, listen, I've got a job for you. You know who I am. There's a lot of blessings waiting for you because you're my brothers. But first, I have something you need to do. And you need to do it quickly. And you need to do it faithfully. Deliver the message exactly the way I give it. Something else that he says In verse number 12, we won't take time to read this verse, but in verse number 12, Joseph in essence says to his brothers, brothers, after you share with father exactly what I say, then go ahead and share with father what you have seen and heard. Go ahead and share with father how life has changed for you since you met Joseph. Brothers, what he's saying is, is brothers, go ahead and share your testimony with Father." In church, when we go out to the world, we tell the world about Jesus Christ and we share with them the gospel. Sometimes they're going to talk to us about things that we don't quite understand. You see, sometimes people out in the world, they're going through some issues and problems in life that we're not going through because we've met Jesus Christ. And sometimes we're going to have to say to people, listen, I'm not quite sure and I don't quite understand what you may be going through in life right now, but let me tell you about myself. Let me tell you how it was for me before I met Jesus Christ. Let me tell you how I was living for myself. Let me tell you how sin was ruining my life. But let me tell you how it all changed when I met Jesus. Let me tell you how he brought my family back together. Let me tell you how he changed the lives of my children. Let me tell you how he's answered my prayers. Let me tell you what Jesus has done since I've met him. See, we all have a testimony to share with people. And there's a power. There's real power in a testimony. Joseph said to his brothers, brothers, listen, you know who I am. Now, brothers, you know there's a lot of blessings waiting for you because you're my brothers. Before you enjoy these blessings, I've got a job for you. I have a responsibility for you. Brothers, I'm commissioning you to do something for me. And brothers, you need to do it quickly. Don't wait. Brothers, you need to do it faithfully. Deliver the message exactly the way that I give it. Brothers, go ahead and share your testimony. Then Joseph, or in the story here, we find something else in verse number number 20. Says in verse 20, also regard not your stuff, for good of all the land of Egypt is yours. Now, brothers, listen, you're doing this for me, and you need to go back, and brothers, you don't need to worry about the provision for the trip. You don't need to worry about the wagons to carry the food and the wagons to carry the family back and the clothes and the money you need. Brothers, you don't need to worry about all of that because you're my brothers and you're not doing this for your own self, you're doing it on my behalf. So, uh, brothers, don't worry about the provision because it's going to be taken care of. And you know, I've learned in my life learned in my life that when you're doing God's work, God's way, He'll always provide. Now, sometimes when we're doing our own thing, the provision's not going to be there. But when we're doing God's work, when we're doing what God has led us to do through His Spirit and His Word, He will always provide. Because we're not doing it for ourselves, we're doing it for Him. I've seen this happen so many times in my life as a missionary. But one story above all stands out to me that I'd like to share with you this evening. We were getting ready to go to Kenya to live for the first time. We had three small children, all five years old and younger. It was December of 1997. We had raised our support. We were ready to leave. It was two days before Christmas. I was sitting in Cleveland, Ohio at my parents' home. We we're, were leaving for Africa the last day of 1997. So just 10 days later, the phone rang my parents' house, and that phone call was for me. And I took it, and the words on that, that were said to me on that phone were words that shocked me beyond belief. I'll share those words with you in a moment, but about a year before this, I had gone to Kenya for the first time to visit with my wife. We call a survey trip. See how the living conditions were going to be and, and, and the ministry and such. And when we got to Kenya, we realized, and I realized, again, this is 20 some, 23, 24 years ago, it was 1996, that life in Africa was going to be a lot different than life here in the U.S. Duh. <laughs> but I saw it firsthand. I saw especially it was going to be difficult on my wife because not only was she going to have to take care of the children, homeschool the children. We have raised five children on the mission field, and my wife's homeschooled every one of them. Done a wonderful job, a lot of work. Not only is she going to have to homeschool the children, not only is she going to have to work in the ministry and be involved in the ministry and all that goes on there, she's got to take care of me, and that's a full-time job in and of itself. But I saw she's going to have to do all that with things that, well, with nothing, because they didn't have anything over there. By that I mean they didn't have any of the conveniences that we have over here to make life a little bit easier. They didn't have washing machines, dryers. The Kenyans didn't have refrigerators, stoves. All of those things that we're just used to over here, they didn't have because they didn't have the money to buy them, so they weren't available. And I saw my wife was going to have to live over here, and she's going to have to do all this stuff, and she's going to have, not have any of that. And I thought, my word, if that's the way it's going to be, my wife's going to die. That's not right. And I said to my wife, I said, "When we get back to the U.S., I said, we're going to find those appliances. We're going to buy them and we're going to ship them to Kenya so that you can take care of the home." I made her that promise. So we got back to the U.S. and I started looking for those things. And understand, this was the days before internet. There was a day before the internet, by the way. Okay, <laughs> we forget that, but there was. There was no Google. You weren't Googling appliances for Africa. You had to do it the the old-fashioned way. You had to use the yellow pages and the white pages. Remember those? Well, I started looking and searching, and I finally found a place in Chicago, Illinois, that sold appliances that were made specifically for the rugged condition of living in Africa. So you could not just take an appliance from the U.S. over there because our electricity's different over there. It's 220 power. I mean, you could take your refrigerator over there, but if you plug it in... (laughs) There'll be an explosion. (laughs) So we found, I found this place, and we went there, and my wife, she chose all of those appliances that she needed, along with some other things that would be to benefit over there, and we paid for those. God provided the money. And not only that, but this place also specialized in shipping those belongings and shipping containers to Africa. It was their specialty. So I bought, we bought and paid for a shipping container that all of those furnitures were going to go in, plus all of our belongings, and they were going to ship them for to Africa. We left everything in their warehouse, finished deputation. We're now ready to leave two days before Christmas. And that phone rang. When I answered it, on the other end of that phone was the general manager of that appliance slash shipping company. And he said, Mr. Mickey, he said, listen, um... Listen, I've got some, well, you know, um, there's something, um, he's just falling all over his words. and Finally, he says, you know, there's just no easy way to say it. He said, but let me just say it. He goes, unfortunately, yesterday we declared bankruptcy. He said, and according to the bankruptcy laws in the United States, because those appliances and furnishings and things that you bought are not actually in your possession, they're still in our warehouse, by law, that means they don't belong to you. So I'm sorry, but you don't have them anymore. And that shipping container that you bought and paid for, I'm sorry, you've, you don't have that anymore either. Uh, Merry Christmas. And he hung up the phone. I sat there in the room in my parents' house. and I, At first, I, I was hoping I had a nightmare, but it, it was a nightmare, but it was a real one. And as it dawned on me what all that meant, that we had just lost all of our belongings. To my shame, I started saying some things to God that I shouldn't have said. I started questioning Him. In in essence, although I didn't use those exact words, but in essence, I told God he didn't know what he's doing. That he wasn't keeping his end of the bargain. I said, God, what what are you doing? God, I'm taking my family to Africa. God, I don't see a lot of other people wanting to go to Africa. This is the way that you treat people who want to serve you? God, how am I going to take care of my family? God, listen, I told everybody, I preached all over the country and told people that you called me that you were going to provide, that you were going to... Hey, God, what are you doing? And I questioned him. And God, as God does, he just let me vent. And after a few moments, the Holy Spirit began to speak in that still small voice. Through principles of the words of God that I'd heard all my life, through sermons that I've heard and stories in the Bible, God began to say, okay, you finished now? Can I, can I talk? And God reminded me of a story in the book of Genesis. I had just read a sermon the week before in the sword of the Lord from this story about a man and woman in the book of Genesis that questioned God who didn't, didn't think God knew what He's doing, didn't think God could keep his promises. Abraham and Sarah. As a matter of fact, uh, Abraham and Sarah really messed things up. We're still reaping the results of that, by the way, in the world today. Finally, God showed up to Abraham and Sarah and had to ask them a question. And the question he asked them was, Is Abraham Sarah, is there anything too hard for the Lord? What a simple question, but profound. Well, nine months later, Abraham and Sarah found out there was nothing too hard for the Lord. Well, God reminded me of that. When all of these thoughts and emotions were going through my mind, and God took me to the head. And the Holy Spirit began to say to me things like, Listen, son, you've got to learn now that I can take care of you. You see, son, if you don't learn this lesson now, there are some things that you're going to face in the future in Africa that you're not ready for. And if they happen to you before you're not ready for it, you're not going to make it. You need to learn that in every circumstance of life, I will provide and I will take care of you. Even if you don't see how it's going to happen. I I said, all right, God, you're right, I don't understand. I don't see how. But I do know you called me. so I'll trust you. So I then had to call my wife into the room. And I had to have the most difficult conversation that I'd ever had with my wife. I had to tell my wife that we were going to Africa, but we were going without our things, because we didn't have them anymore. She took it better than I did. I don't mean she is happy. There' was a lot of tears. But she followed me. We got to Africa, three small children. We didn't know what was going to happen. How those things were going to be replaced. We went to language school. We had made that arrangement before. We were living at the language school and been there for some time. And the phone rang again, and it was for me. It was an American that had been living in Kenya for several years, and he had decided to move back to the U.S. with his family. And he said, "Listen, uh, brother Mickey," he said. Um, I'm moving back to the U.S. and uh, he says, "You know, I, I find I've got all these things that I can't use in the U.S. and I don't know what to do with them." He said, um, I, "I thought maybe you might have an idea." He says, "I have all these appliances I, have, I can't use them in the U.S. Would would you have any use for them?" <laughs> God's my way, I, absolutely truth. <laughs> he says, "Well, I think I might." <laughs> God taught me such a lesson in those early days when you're doing his work, things might happen in your life that you don't understand, and you don't see how it's going to work out, but you just got to trust, and he'll provide. And Joseph said to his brothers, he said, brothers, listen, you know who I am. Brothers, there are a lot of blessings waiting for you just because you're my brothers, but brothers, before you enjoy these blessings, you need to do one thing first. I'm commissioning you to do this. Go back to Father. And tell Father, Joseph is alive. Do it quickly. Don't wait. Don't delay. Do it faithfully. Deliver the message exactly the way that I give it to you. Share with Father all that has happened to you since you met Joseph. Brothers, don't worry about the provision because it's all taken care of. There's one other thing that we see in this story in closing that I'd like to give to you. In verse number 24. Says here, So he sent his brethren away and they departed and he said unto them, see that you fall not out by the way. Brothers, when you're on this journey, when you're doing this task for me, this commission, brothers, just let me give you a word of warning. Just be careful, brothers. Be careful you reach the destination. Be careful, brothers, that along the journey you don't fall out. Brothers, don't go taking a shortcut. That's going to get you off the path and you're not going to end up where you're supposed to be. Brothers, there's some potholes in the road. There's a ditch on the left. There's a ditch on the right. Brothers, you need to be careful. Joseph knew his brothers well. He knew their scheming and their private agendas and their jealousies. He says, brothers, be careful. That you don't fall out along the way. Church, this evening, I think that's a word of warning for all of us. The temptation comes in life to fall out along the way. I dare say, Pastor, this evening that this building couldn't begin to hold all the people that could be here except those that have fallen out along the way. Saved people. But somewhere along the way they got discouraged. And they quit. Or somewhere along the way they got offended. Maybe the pastor offended them. Somebody said something to them they didn't like and it caused them to fall out along the way. I wish that the older we get, the longer we're in the Lord's work, the less temptation that becomes, but it's not really true. I sometimes get tempted to fall out along the way. Just stop. Do something else. We share the blessings with you as missionaries oftentimes of the mission field, as we should. But sometimes you don't always hear the other side. Sometimes you don't hear the stories about maybe when your wife is in the bedroom with the door closed, lying in bed weeping, and there's nothing you can do to comfort her because she misses her family or there's some cultural issue going on or, or, or misunderstanding with the ladies or the Demas is in the ministry or the Judas is in the ministry. And sometimes the feeling comes, you know what, I don't have to put up with this. I can go live in the U.S. I don't have to live in Africa. And the temptation comes. Stop. i go do something else. Well, if I could tell you what I do when that happens to me, when that temptation comes, what I do is I remind myself of when God called me. For me, God called me to be a missionary to Africa when I was a 12-year-old boy, just a little over a year after I got saved. It was December twenty-fifth, 1977, Christmas morning. Now, as a 12-year-old boy, I had not yet learned that it was more blessed to give than receive. As a 12-year-old boy, I was all about receiving That particular Christmas, I had my heart set on a new bicycle. I did not understand all that was going on. And my parents and our family at that time, my father had lost his job earlier in the year, had not been able to find another one. Things were a bit tough. My parents were doing the best they could. I really didn't understand that. I just wanted a bike. I'd even laid all the necessary hints (laughs) leading up to Christmas. To be sure, my parents knew I wanted a bike. This was during the days of the Sears and Roebuck catalogs. Remember those? What I did was is I'd open those catalogs, and I would leave them in strategic places open to the section of bikes. You know, places like next to the coffee pot, in the re- next to the refrigerator, <laughs> on top of the washing machine. I just knew my parents they got the hint. So I convinced myself I'm getting a bike. Christmas morning came, I was the oldest of five children, so I had to go last. My little sister, who's just a little tiny girl, opened up her gift first and she got a new baby doll. Now this was not just an ordinary baby doll. this was when baby dolls started doing things like eating and crying and all of that stuff. And I mean, she was so happy and excited, and I mean I mean, we were happy and excited because she was happy and excited, and I thought, that's how it's going to be when I get my bike. I was all ready for it. My brother opened up his gift. He got a new soccer ball. He was happy. I was happy for him because I liked playing soccer. I was on the soccer team. My sisters, two other sisters, opened up their gifts. I do not remember what they got because we did not get along. (laughs) So I just know they got something. Hopefully it was a lump of coal, but I don't remember. (laughs) But it's my turn now. And I knew I was going to get that bike. My parents handed me a small package. And I looked at that small package and I thought, there's no bike going to fit in that package. But I thought, you know, my parents, they're just a little tricky. They, they saw all those hints that I was leaving around for the last several months, those pictures of bikes in the catalog. So they cut those pictures out and they put them here in this little package. And I'm going to open that package and there's going to be pictures of a bike and that bike's waiting for me in the basement. So I ripped that package open and you no, know, there's no pictures of a bike. It was a book. Imagine. A book? For Christmas? Now listen, honest truth, we lived right down the street from the Cleveland Public Library, one of the greatest libraries in the world, and I thought, if I wanted to read a book, they've got 10,000s of books there. I tried to not show, I tried not show my disappointment, but I'm sure my parents saw it. Well, the name of that book was When You Need a Missionary Story. Now, understand, it wasn't that I didn't like missions. I knew about missions. Missionaries had eaten in my house, and we had them at our church all the time. I'd heard them preach. I'd seen their pictures. Matter of fact, we we had missionaries out of our church. Right now, our church has 17 missionary families on the field somewhere. So I knew all about missions. It well, was I didn't like missions, but I didn't want a book about missions at Christmas. I wanted a bike. Well, it was our custom as a family on Christmas we'd go to visit my grandparents. They lived several hours away in the state of Pennsylvania so we were getting in the family car to make that trip and my mother said to me, she said, son, while we're driving, why don't you take that book with you and read that book? Was I going to say no? Well, so I took the book and I begrudgingly opened it and started reading it. When I started reading it, I started reading about The stories about people from days gone by that God had sent all over the world. There was a section in that book about missionaries that God sent to Africa. When I began to read that section, the Holy Spirit began to squeeze on my heart. And as real as I'm standing before you today, as I read that section, I knew that someday when I grew up, God wanted me to be a missionary in Africa. I sat up in the back seat and I told my mom and dad, Mom, Dad, someday when I grow up, I'm going to Africa as a missionary. Now I'll be honest with you, through the years, through my teenage years, early adult life, there were times I thought about doing other things. But every time I did, God would just bring something into my life to remind me, No, son, there's nothing wrong with those other things, but it's not what I have for you. So fast forward time now, we've been, I've been in Africa for 21 years. Sometimes the temptation comes. You don't have to put up with this. You could do something else. When that does, when that happens to me, what I do is I take that book, and I open it up, and I read it again. I have that book here this evening. This is that book I received as a 12-year-old boy. And I just open it up, and I start to read it again. And I don't think it's a coincidence on the first page. The title of the very first story in the book It's entitled A Little Boy Who Listened to God. The Story of David Livingstone. And I read it, and I'm reminded don't fall out along the way. Well, church, let me tell you something this evening. God's given us all a book, it's right here. It's called His Word. And you know what we need to do when we get discouraged? You know what we need to do when we get offended? And we will get offended. We need to open the book and we need to read it again. We need to go to Calvary and read about Calvary and read what Jesus Christ did for us, how he took our offenses upon him to provide us with eternal salvation. All we got to do is just pick it up and read it and be reminded that when we're in this life, until the Lord calls us home, let's not fall out along the way. Because the job is just too important. Joseph said to his brothers, brothers, I know life is going to be different for you now because you're my brothers. But before you enjoy this new life here in Egypt, there's something you need to do first. And you need to do it quickly. And you need to do it faithfully. And You need to share how life's changed because of me. Don't worry about the provision because I'll take care of it. But just be careful. Just be careful you reach the destination. And church, I just believe that's a wonderful example of the commission that Jesus Christ has given to the church in this day and age that we live in. May we we be reminded of that commission every time we read this story of Joseph. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes in prayer? Thank you so much this evening for your attentiveness to the message. Apologize if I went a few minutes long. But this evening as we have this invitation let's just search our hearts and maybe there's something there that has discouraged us or something there that has just caused us to not be involved in the Lord's commission as we ought to. Let's be reminded of the urgency of the task. How faithful God is. Let's renew, recommit ourselves again to the task that God has given to us. Let us stand at our seat, please.